You're listening to the Great Recruiter Training Podcast, hosted by industry expert, trainer, and motivator, Scott Love. Hey, everyone, this is Scott Love, bringing you another long overdue podcast. I know it's been probably... What, about a year, maybe a little bit over a year since my last podcast? I think I did 18 of those and then just really made the commitment to get back on my desk last summer. So I haven't put the time into my training business that I used to. I've really backed off the travel significantly. I'm only doing in-house training with just a few search firms, depending on the geography and what the relationship is already like. I'm not speaking at any more of the industry conferences. I'm done with that for a while. But I still have all of my virtual training on the web in two areas. One of them is the freebies page. So if you like free training, go through all the links and watch the videos and listen to the audios that I have posted on my website. Uh, Secondly, you can listen to all the free podcasts, all 18 of them that I've done uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. All that's free. You can download it, and I hope that makes a difference for you. If you're interested in investing in yourself, consider joining the coaching club. Uh, I'm not going to turn this into a commercial. To go to the link and read through that and see if it makes sense for you. It starts at $77 a month, and you can cancel at any time. There's over, at this point, about 150 hours of downloadable audio training. You can take it, download the MP3s onto your own media, and turn your drive time into money-making time. When you're at the gym, when you're on the treadmill, listen to my training. It'll help you build more and make that training, uh, make that workout seem a lot shorter. Anyways, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this podcast that you're about ready to hear. It's an interview that Connie Kadansky, an expert on sales training, did with me several months ago. Her particular unique expertise is on the area of call reluctance, and she asked me how I overcome that on my own desk, and I share some ideas that I hope make a difference for you. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk with you again real soon. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our show. This is the Sales Car Reluctance Coach, Connie Kadansky at ExceptionalSales.com. For 13 years, I've been helping financial advisors, recruiters, and salespeople from diverse industries throughout the world get their ask in gear and overcome their sales car reluctance. And uh, I am so excited today that our guest is Scott Love. And Scott Love improves the performance of recruiters and the profitability of search firms and staffing agencies by helping them create systems that are replicatable. He's a trainer, a speaker, and a management consultant. And he actually works a recruiting desk every day. So over 3,000 search firms from 25 countries have invested in his training materials. He's written two books, over 250 articles on leadership. He's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Selling Power Magazine, and dozens of business journals. And what's really interesting is Scott's a graduate of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, And when he was on active duty, he was third in command of the U.S. Navy ship. And the reason that I invited Scott today is because he truly is about discipline and emulates discipline in a way that is notable for the industry of selling and recruiting because of the fact that prospecting and making the sales calls and the recruiting calls are so important. So welcome, Scott. Thank you, Connie. Yes. So, Scott, how did you get into executive recruiting? Sure. I'd gotten out of the Navy, and I was looking for a job. And one of the firms that I interviewed with 
I thought, well, I'm going to find a job. Let me go to a recruiting firm and thought they were like an employment agency, but they're not because recruiting firms usually specialize in a niche. And the firm I, I interviewed with said, you join us, you can make $40,000 a year. And I'm like, man, that's that's awesome. And I that was back in 1995. And my very first day on the job, I knew I would do it for a long time. And the reason for that is because over the telephone, you can create an image based on your voice. And you can gain a lot of influence with other people. And it's a lot of fun. And so I'd fallen in love with telephone sales through recruiting. And recruiting is just a, it's like sales on steroids. It's the purest form of sale where you have a double sell. You've got to sell your services to clients. And you've also got to convince complete strangers to make life-changing decisions based on a six-minute phone call. So it's a lot of fun. That is so interesting that you said over the phone you can create an image with your voice. Scott, I've never heard that before. Tell us more about that. Sure. I, I started a new recruiting niche probably about a year and a half ago, and it's taken me a while to build it up. And I'd done a lot of speaking and training and really just didn't want to be on the road with the family. And so I decided I've got to get back onto recruiting. And I still do some consulting and speaking and training because I really like that. But my core business now is to recruit senior-level attorneys, partner-level attorneys for law firms in Washington, D.C. That's my niche. So the people I talk to, they're making at least four hundred to 500000 all the way up to several million dollars a year. I talk to the smartest, most untrusting people in the world, and these are people that I would call soul readers. They deal with people at the CEO level all day long, and these are the people, when I've got a search from a client, I cold call them. And I call them up, and I've got to paint a picture with my voice to get them to open their mind up. I'm not calling to pitch an opportunity. I'm calling to open up their mind. If you Because know, recruiting, it's what I call interruption marketing. I'm interrupting them in the, in the middle of their day. They've been with their firm for seven years. The last thing on their mind is making a move because it's highly risky for them to do that. So I have to call them, and with my voice, just with the inflection, with the pause, with the way I communicate, I've got to convey trust. I've, and this is something I've learned from you, Connie. Long ago, when I first met you, back in like 97, I think, you said that you've got to be a self-promoter. You've got to believe in your value, and that belief is what I believe causes them to open their mind up. Yes, and Scott, knowing that they are so goal-oriented and task-oriented and not really that conversational with somebody that they don't know, you have got to be a master at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, and it, it, it's it's almost like a habit. You know, you develop a habit that becomes automatic. And I developed a few key phrases that I think work. You know, one phrase is, if they tell me no, they're happy where they are in that conversation. I try to remove the pressure. I tell them it's okay that you're happy. That's fine. Most people I talk to are happy where they are. How long have you lived in Washington? And so now we're getting away from the focus of the call. I'm trying to build rapport. And if I have a little bit of rapport, not a lot, but a little bit. Then I'll come back at them with a question like, so if I had something that was substantially better than your current situation, would you at least want to hear about that? And you don't get a lot of no's when you ask that question. So I think it's knowing how to move people. Like if there's 10 different steps in the process, my goal is to move them from step one to step 1.5 to step two to step 2.5, you know, just in small increments in that dialogue instead of going from uh, a complete no to a complete yes just to get them to consider that there could be something better out there. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, Scott, that is so valuable. And we're talking to Scott Love today. And uh, Scott, what is your website? I have two of them. My training site for recruiters is greatrecruitertraining.com. And my recruiting site for law firms that are looking to grow by hiring partners with portable business is attorneysearchgroup.com. My company name is the Attorney Search Group. Okay, good. So, and what you've shared with us before is that, Scott, you really do have a personal relationship with that phone. Tell us about that. Where I believe that in some sales professions, the longer you've been in it, the harder it is to do it. In the recruiting industry, the longer you've been in this business, the harder it is to do it. And the reason for that is because you know how bad things can get. It's almost like when people join the recruiting industry, I say, well, welcome to recruiting, and I'm sorry, you know, because it's going to be, your life is going to rock. It's going to be up and down. You're going to experience every single human emotion in the course of a morning if you let it affect you. And so because of that, some recruiters and salespeople also, they have this fear, they have this trepidation of getting on the phone. Even though they've been in sales for 15 years, they still struggle because, let's face it, Connie, a salesperson's day is filled with a series of one personal rejection after another. And if they don't know how to manage their perspective of how they view those, and if they don't know how to manage their emotions, they're going to they're going to be frazzled. It's kind of like if you came with me to Asheville, North Carolina, where I live, and if we drove around in a car all day, and every green light that we come to, I want you to get really, really excited. Every red light we come to, I want you to get really, really mad. Every yellow light we come to, I want you to get really, really sad. If we did that all day, what would your emotional state be? You'd be fried. And some people let circumstances govern how they feel. They let that phone call govern how they feel. You know, it's, it's great to talk to someone and to feel the rush when you turn a no into a yes, But when you choose to let external circumstances govern your emotions, when someone tells you no and you feel the emotion with that, instead of plugging along and being steady, uh, then you're going to be fried. You're going to let fear rule your day instead of your focus. And so, Scott, at that pivotal moment when it's taken a turn for I'm going to say a turn for the worse. It's something that you really don't want to hear. At that pivotal moment, how do you train people to manage that? Right. So are you talking about like when a candidate or someone says no, they're not interested? Well, I try to do, when, when someone tells you no, that is when your work as a salesperson begins. When they say no, it's okay that they're telling you no. That's part of it. Let's just admit that that is part of it. And that's where we have to go to work. Once I get three no's from someone, then I know that, well, they're probably not going to move. I try to overcome the first no, see if we can get to a yes. If I can't, I'm going to phrase it a different way. I've got another no. Let me try one more time. I've got another no. I think if I keep pressing on after that, I'm going to wear my welcome out. I want to try to harvest other forms of value from that conversation now. What I'm going to do at that next point is to put a deposit into the emotional bank account based on Cialdini, Robert Cialdini's principle of reciprocity. I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to do a favor for them. 
So I'll say, you know what, Joe, I'd love to keep in touch with you in the future. Anytime I can be a resource for you, I want you to call me, even if you want to stay with your firm. And when you get a raise or a bonus, if you want to see how that compares to other people, please call me because I keep track of what everybody makes. And even if you don't ever want to leave, I'd still be glad to help you out. They say, wow, thank you. So I put a deposit in the emotional bank account. Now I'm going to make a withdrawal. If I can't get them to say yes to my opportunity, I still want to harvest value out of every conversation. So the second step for me is to try to get a referral. Well, they're not going to do it because they don't know me, so I use that principle of reciprocity to structure. I'm going to reverse engineer the reason for them to do that favor for me. So I'm doing a favor for them in the future. And that's why this is a system. I mean, I've trained thousands of recruiters on this. I do this every day. So if I don't get any other referrals, I still want to harvest value out of that conversation. That might be industry intelligence. I'm going to ask them questions about the market that any answer would be considered safe. If they give me a personal referral, there's some risk associated with that. I could call up their friend and make them look like a mouth-breathing moron by being a jerk. But if they give me information that can be found on the web, that's safe. I want to get some sort of value from the call. So I think when people know that there's a chance someone's going to say no, well, I'm going to remove the result from that conversation as what I'm going to hang my feeling on. If the only thing I'm trying to get is turning a yes or turning a no into a yes, and if I'm going to let that bother me, well, I've got to change my perspective. I want to see if I can harvest some sort of value out of that conversation. I have no control over what the other person on the other end of the line says to me. I have absolutely no control. I do have control over how I interpret events. So I'm going to try to reframe things in my mind to look at those events and to make it a positive situation no matter what happens and to harvest as much value out of that call as I can. So that's pretty much my whole model, Connie, of when I'm on the phone and someone tells me no. And then another aspect of that is to have a mantra where, in my mind, I'm thinking they want me to talk them into it. I really believe that. I believe that they're telling me no. In my mind, I'm saying, you know, you want me to talk you into it. This is something I remember you sharing through your various training programs over the years, Connie, is having the belief in what you're selling, you know, having that belief in that value. And that's why I'm very selective about bringing on a law firm client. I've just started selling retainers. I've got big law firms. You know, The chairman of a very large international firm retained me to grow their Washington office, and that's unheard of within this legal uh, recruiting niche within law firms. So I'm very selective about the clients that I bring on. So when you have a product or service that you're selling and you have a very high belief in the value that you can bring to other people, if you really believe that, when someone tells you no, and you have to turn them around, you have to turn that no into a yes, and you believe in it, then you owe it to that person to overcome their objection. When they give you a no, you have a responsibility, you have a duty to your prospect to convert that no into a yes. When you believe you have that value and you're approaching these people that way, when you talk to people like the people I talk to, the soul readers, the people that are brilliant and untrusting and can see right into your soul, if they thought I looked at them as walking invoices, they wouldn't even talk to me after about 30 seconds. But they know that for some reason what's coming through my voice is I really believe that you need to talk to my client. Like Here's an example. There's this one partner a candidate that told me no the first time. And I told her, I said, Beth, I hear what you're telling me, but I honestly believe that there are some aspects of what my client has to offer that 
you owe it to yourself to at least consider this, at least to give some mental space in your mind to considering this. I mean, that's the point that we're at today, and I have to follow up with her today. And another phrase I'm going to share with her, when she says, well, you know, I just don't see any reasons for leaving, I'll tell her this, I'll say, Beth, if Thomas Edison surveyed his prospects and his customers and asked them what they really wanted, they would have said brighter candles. Sometimes we just don't know what we really want or we think we have a good deal until we see that there is something there. And my client actually came from your firms, and I think you owe it to yourself to at least consider this opportunity. And so the attitude is, you are so lucky I'm giving you my time right now because of the value that I can bring to you. When a salesperson really believes in that and someone tells them no, well, I look forward to the no's. I look forward to someone telling me no. And so I think, Connie, just over a long time, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've been able to uh, not listen to the monkey chatter in my brain when, about all the self-doubts of sales and recruiting when someone tells me no and people cuss at me and all this stuff. But I think even another aspect of it is to look at the metrics associated with sales. Look at the people that are selling. Look at how many people do you have to talk to to make a sale and, and divide that up, segment that base of people up into how many people give you the no clicks. They say, no, I'm not interested. Click, they hang up. How many of that is that? Out of 100, for me, it's 50. So 50 out of 100 that I talk to, they're going to say, I appreciate the call, but I'm not interested. Click, I don't get past that point. Out of those 100, about 20 of them are going to say, maybe we should talk. And those other 30 are going to say, no, but I'm still on the phone with them. I can build a rapport. And those other 30, I'm going to try to harvest some sort of value out of that conversation, either turn that no into a yes or get a referral or get industry intelligence. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's pretty much the whole, the whole way oh, I think about Scott. that. I'm so inspired. <laughs> Well, and so what I'm hearing from you is that you really do practice and train on the discipline of thought, discipline of yes. this monitoring, and then you just talked about the metrics, the metrics of the sales, and I know that you have a tool to help people keep track of their sales. Can you tell us about that tool, and then how do they access that? Absolutely. And let me talk first about discipline. You mentioned that, and I know we've talked about this before, about discipline. And I'll, I'll tell you a story first, and I'll tell you about that tool, and it's a free tool, and how people can find it and how they can use that, and it will uh, significantly improve their call output. But back when I used to do a lot of sales training, I would speak at different industry conferences, and uh, there was this one sales group. It was a large business brokerage franchise, a very large international business brokerage company that had their annual meeting in New Orleans. And one of the sales reps came up to me and she said, I'm having a really hard time being disciplined and staying on the phone. And I said, well, tell me about your, let's your realistic income goal. What is that? She said, I believe I can make $10,000 a month. I said, okay. So for you to make $10,000 a month, your boss knows you want to make that. She says, yes, we've already gone over a plan. I said, okay. How many people a day does he say you have to talk to every day to make $10,000 a month? She said, if I can have 20 conversations every day, then I'll make $10,000 a month. I said, okay, let's just say that your boss wrote a check for you, and it was for $10,000. He gave it to you on the 1st, but it was dated for the 31st. And he said, all you have to do is have 20 conversations a day. If you can make 10 new friends in the morning and make 10 new friends in the afternoon, if you can do that every day for a month, you get the cash the check. 
how motivated are you on a scale of 1 to 10 at this point in getting on the phone if that situation was true? 10 meaning you're most motivated. She said, I'd be an 11. I said, would you have any problem with discipline at this point? She says, no. I said, well, I guess you don't have an issue with discipline then. It's really the belief. It's really the belief in does the system work? So I would recommend to salespeople that are in a company and they're just not sure, can I do this? Find the top producer. Find the person that is the most successful person in your system and ask them, tell me about your day. You know, how do you plan your day? How do you execute? Can I shadow you for a couple of hours? And those people that are amazingly successful tend to be the most generous. That's why they became successful. They've got that within their core character. They're not going to turn you down. Most people just are too afraid to ask. So that would be the one thing I'd share, Connie, is just discipline is all about desire. How badly do you want to win? In the world of sales, it's the tortoise that wins the race, not the hare. Sales is more about desire than it is talent. Whoever wants to win the most is the one that usually does. And how, do you, how can you tell who these people are? You look at their checkbook and you look at their calendar. How much do they spend and how much time do they invest in their own development? The high performers don't wait for the manager to stick a sales book underneath their nose. The high performers don't ask their boss to pay for the conference. They go to that. So uh, related to this tool, uh, you can go to my website. It's greatrecruitertraining, all in word, dot com. And go to the page that says freebies. Now, even if you don't do recruiting, this is still a good tool for you. Go to the freebies page, even if you do sales. And if you have to make phone calls, go to the freebies page and scroll to the, let's see, it's at the very bottom. It's called the Telephone Discipline Tool. And there's a video right below that, actually the video on the very bottom of that page that tells you how to do it. I'll give you an idea of what it's all about. I remember hearing Brian Tracy, who's my absolute favorite trainer. I've listened to about 20 hours of his audio training so far this year <laughs> because I'm, I still, his stuff is great. A long time ago, probably about 12 years ago, I went to a seminar that he was at and he said, and the way he says it, he says, successful, well-managed salespeople manage themselves on an hour-by-hour basis. That's how he said it. And I thought about that. Manage themselves on an hour-by-hour basis. Well, if you owned a manufacturing plant, and if the CEO called you and said, we want you to improve your production by 25% over the year, first thing you would do would go, go to the process engineers and you'd look at your throughput. How many widgets per hour do you make? You would start with that number. How many widgets per hour do we make? If we make four widgets per hour, and if we want to increase our widget production by 25%, how many more widgets per hour do we want to make? Only one. If you go from 4 to 5, that's a 25% increase in widget output. That's a concept called throughput. And when I've consulted to search firms and sales organizations, when I used to do a lot of that, I would always ask them, they show me about all these metrics, but nobody ever measured the calls per hour. I'd never seen it before. I'd never even heard of it. It's an original concept. And so with this tool, I came, came up with this tool for myself because I'm an extremely distracted person, so I have to create systems that helped me stay on the phone, and that's why my training, people find my training valuable, because I'm actually doing the systems that I create, because I create the systems for average people like myself. You know, We might not have the talent of a Picasso, but we can get the $12 paint-by-the-number kit, and that's what's going to make us successful. And so the way you use the tool, you set your intention. How many calls per hour do you want to make? And you highlight the number of boxes per hour. So you create a plan. When am I going to be on the phone? Do I already have my roll-up list and my call list ready to go? 
I'm going to schedule time from 10 to 2 and 2 to 4. Those are my outbound call hours. And you highlight how many calls per hour do you want to make. So you start with your intention. Now we go to focus. We focus on one hour at a time. The only thing that counts is what's happening in, at this point in life right now. Nothing else counts. So it focuses you on that one 60-minute period of time. And you set your goal. I want to reach five people this hour. And now, now, that, So we have our intention, our focus. And now we have intensity. We're much more intense about reaching people on the phone because we have an hourly goal of reaching X amount of people that hour. Just because of our awareness of our target over the hour and our measurement of that, there is an immediate correction. There is an immediate improvement just because of how we're structuring our thought. Um, let me set my hourly goal and let me keep track of it. And it's a very simple tool, Connie. And I've had people that say this tool, you know, say download the free telephone discipline tool from my website. And people, and one guy said, you know, this just seems too simple. And I, you know, it sounds stupid. I said, I agree with you. It sounds, it's the stupidest concept I've ever heard of, but it works. And try it for a week. Try it for a week and see if it works. And he did. And, and, and if you try this for a week, you're going to use it every day for the rest of your life when you make phone calls. And you're going to see a marked improvement in your ability to connect with people over the phone. Well, you know what, Scott? I'm blocked out today from <laughs> 10, 10 to 11.30, and I am going to use it. I am really going to focus and and use that today. So thank you so much. So that's at greatrecruitertraining.com. Click on the freebies page, and you're looking for the telephone discipline tool from Scott Love. So that's Scott, right. what one tip would you give people who are considering a career in recruiting? Let me think about that. One tip... I would say get very clear on what you want to accomplish. I, I would say three things. First is get very clear on what you want to accomplish in recruiting. Uh, second thing is understand that this is a business based on knowledge, that it seems simple. Find a candidate that wants to make a move and place them in a company. It's pretty simple. There's a lot of complexity. So the more you can expose yourself to knowledge – not just the tactical knowledge of how to do it, but how to process situations and understanding that and really really developing uh, developing uh, a domain knowledge of the business uh, that would be the second thing i 'd recommend and then the third is i would spend I would spend at least an extra hour in the office every day you know if you leave at five your first year in recruiting you 're not spending enough time. I would say leave at six or six thirty. You need to put the time in. It's not an easy business. It's extremely hard, and you need to spend at least an hour a day developing yourself, uh, and you can combine activities. You can spend 30 minutes driving to work listening to one of my MP3s and 30 minutes going home or any other sales program. That's an hour right there. I'd spend about an hour a day at least uh, working on your own development, You know, getting that industry knowledge or that sales knowledge uh, into your brain. That's what, it's, that's what it really takes, I believe. Okay. Yes. And in our last few minutes, what one tip would you give salespeople who are struggling in sales? I would recommend that they open themselves up to their manager or a friend of theirs that knows them and knows the business and have somebody check their blind spots. Every Monday at 8.30, I talk to a buddy of mine who's a legal recruiter in Washington 
he's one of my biggest competitors. We don't talk about certain things because we respect it, and we know that we're going to have some crossover. But he helps me see my blind spots. He's one of my close friends, and he tells me things about myself that I don't even know I have problems with. And I do the same thing with him. I always joke, Connie, when I do consulting, I say I can solve anybody's problems except for my own. You know, I, I, can't, I can't solve my own problems because I'm too close to them. So I'd recommend that that person open themselves up, go to your manager and say, I want to get better. I believe I have some blind spots that are keeping me from achieving, and I give you permission to tell me things that I need to hear that I might not want to hear to help me get better. That's what I'd recommend yeah. them. And one way to find the blind spots is through an assessment that I have, the Sales Call Reluctance Assessment, and it's 110 questions, 21 different measurements, and that sometimes, well, it is definitely a way that people can discover and really open up to that, and that's with uh, ExceptionalSales.com, Connie at ExceptionalSales.com, and so, Scott, how do you feel about salespeople and recruiters recording their calls and listening to them? I think it's huge. I don't think you should ever get away from that. I do that religiously. Almost every third or fourth day, I'll listen to my calls that I'm placing to clients and candidates just to hear how I sound. Uh, even this morning, I was listening to a conversation I had with a client, and I hear the uhs in my voice. Uh, I've got this uh, candidate, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I hate that. I hate that. So I try to work on that. I try to come up with ways to keep me from sounding like an idiot when I'm talking to people. I don't think you can ever stop developing your expertise in sales. It's it's a journey of continuous learning and always continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, Scott, you just exude confidence, and you also exude discipline and the fact that you're continuously mastering what you do. You have an upcoming event in Las Vegas, and we have about a minute and a half. Tell us what that is about and whatever we need to know. Yeah, you bet. I used to do events in Las Vegas usually about once a quarter, and I get it would be a two-day event. I'd get anywhere from 40 to 50 people there, and I'd charge a premium for that. This is a one-day event. I'm not doing a lot of live speaking anymore. I'm not speaking at any of the industry conferences within the recruiting space anymore. I, there might be some exceptions for that. If it's a sales meeting for a company that wants me to come in and do an hour or an hour and a half or two, depending on the location and my availability, I'd be open to that. But this is a one-day event just for people in the headhunting or the recruiting industry where we're going to cover a focus plan on developing new clients at higher fees, going to give them a, a, a proven model of recruiting candidates, a, a disciplined approach to performance, uh, going to give them systems and thought models on bouncing back from adversity, going to show them how to have improved telephone presence, also how to sell exclusive or retained searches, and then also a model on collaborative closing so they can get a same-day acceptance from a candidate. And that's going to be all done within a single day. It's going to be Friday, April 20th, and they can go to my website, greatrecruitertraining.com, click on the link that says Live Seminars. It's at the Golden Nugget downtown. It's 297 per person. If they're a member of my coaching club, then they get a $100 discount, and if you want information about that, go to my site and click the link at the top that says Coaching Club, and that will walk you through what that's all about. Oh, that is so exciting. So our guest today was Scott Love with Great Recruiter Training. 
for salespeople and recruiters. So please visit our website at ExceptionalSales.com and get your free report on the first steps in overcoming sales call reluctance. And Scott, thank you so much. I am so excited and inspired, and I really appreciate it. You bet, Connie. Thank you for having me. Uh Bye-bye. And uh, I really appreciate it. You bet, Connie. Thank you for having me. Uh Bye-bye. And uh, I really appreciate it.